It is a great honor and privilege to stand before you this morning to proclaim the Word of God. I'm very thankful to the elders of Redeemer Church, Pastor Ryan, Pastor Phil, Pastor Ben, for the opportunity. Thank you, church family, for the opportunity. It's, uh, I, I do not consider this a, a light task. I consider it a privilege, and I pray that God is glorified in all things. Um, Stephen, it is great to see you this morning. We've missed you, brother, and we're thankful that you are on the road to recovery. We're going to continue in our in our study in our series of <clears throat> of the Gospel of John, a study into the life and ministry of Jesus, where He reveals Himself, and we're going to kind of pick up exactly where we left off last week in John chapter ten, and we're going to be looking at verses thirty-one through forty-two. Uh, we're going to be picking up kind of right in the middle of a story. Uh, right in the middle of a renewed conflict. And um, so we're going to do a little bit of uh, uh, kind of background catching us up uh, to where we left off last week so that we can uh, launch ourselves into, into the Word. We saw last week where the Jews had once again gathered around Jesus and uh, they had demanded that He testify to being the Messiah. He says, they said, if you are the Christ, tell us plainly. They wanted to, to hear Christ. And what we see here is we see the plan of the Jews in John chapter 5 unfold. Their, their, their plan to and their intentions to kill and destroy Jesus because Jesus, the message of Jesus, the works of Jesus were attacking Everything that they knew, it was attacking their religion, it was attacking their lives, it was attacking their livelihood, and there was unrest among the Jewish leaders. And so they said, we intend to kill this guy. We're going to stop this because he is going to keep us from doing what we want to do. In John chapter 8, we see these same Jews confront Jesus with basically the same question, who are you? Who are you? And ultimately, Jesus responded, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And when the Jews heard this claim, they were outraged. They heard Jesus claim to be the great I am, the the eternal covenant-keeping God of Israel. That is exactly what they heard. They, they They heard Jesus claim to be Jehovah, the great I am, Yahweh, and they were completely completely undone. They picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus escaped. And now in verse 30, in verse 30, Christ gave the Jews the plain answer that they were seeking in verse 24 when He said, I and the Father are one. Church, this is, the, this is as clear as a statement in all of Scripture related to Christ's claim to deity. I and the Father are one. In all of Scripture, you will not see such a clear and plain testimony, declaration. And these Jews understood completely what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, not I'm like God. He says, I am God. The Father, the Son, we are one. We are one in our character. We are one in our attributes. We are one in all things. The Jews understood just like they did in John in 5, John 5 and John 8 that to speak this way was blasphemy. And according to Jewish belief, blasphemy had to be punished by being put to death. 
Jesus, in this discourse of 22 verses 30, He told them plainly that He was the Son of God. And we see that this was intolerable to the Jews. For them, it was bad enough that he breached, uh, uh, breached their Sabbath law, but now he is making himself to be God. This is, this is their view. And that's where we pick up our text today. John chapter 10, starting in verse 31. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is, it is not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said, you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I'm not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first. And there he remained. And many came to him and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. Church, I just want to preface our time this morning by saying this is a heavy text. This is we're going into very, very deep waters. And I'm just going to say that uh, that we are not going to be able to cover every nuance of this text this morning. Um, what we are going to do is what we have already asked the Lord to do, and that is to illuminate the Scripture for us, to, 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 to grow our faith in such a way in Jesus as the Son of God so that we can press even further to, to His. So you, the, the Lord might speak to you this morning through the preaching of the Word, and He might show you something in this text and reveal Himself uh, in such a way that I do not mention. And we are completely okay with that. Press into that. Study that. Trust that. What we want to do this morning is we want to we want to give you kind of the big idea and we're going to give you the structure of the text and then we're going to get going. Okay. So the big idea of this passage of Scripture is that the words and the works of Jesus Christ harmoniously testify to the deity of Christ. The word and works of Christ harmoniously testify of the deity of Christ. Why would I use a word like harmonious? Because the word and work of Christ is inseparable. They are in rhythm. They are in tune. Neither one is ever out of step with each other proclaiming and declaring that Jesus is the Son of God. That's very important for us to realize. This word that we are reading today and the works of Christ that we see in the Scriptures and have testified in our own hearts and lives are inseparable from one another. We cannot say, well, I believe the Word of God, but I do not believe the works of God. Cannot be. So the big idea here that we see in these pages is these things, the word of Christ, the work of Christ, it harmoniously testify of the deity of Christ. 
So as we walk through these passages of Scripture that we read, we really see a structure of three things. We see the rejection, the reply, and the retreat. The rejection of Christ, the reply of Christ, and the retreat of Christ. So that's how, that's how the structure of the text is, and we see this, this dialogue and this discourse, and, and, and we, we, want to, we want to accurately walk through this text together, and we're going to see how those th- three things play out. So we're going to start first with the rejection of Christ. Now, the rejection that we see in verse 31, where it says, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him, this, this rejection is in the context of what, what was preached last week. It is in the context that they gathered around Jesus. They demanded a plain answer whether or not He was the Messiah. He gave them the plain answer and now they completely reject what Jesus is saying. The truth of John 1 was being manifested in Jerusalem and we are about to enter the climax of the conflict. Listen church, this is the last time that Jesus would publicly address the Jews. He would retreat into a private ministry and He would not return into Jerusalem until Palm Sunday. We are about to enter in in the Gospel of John to the climax of the conflict which will ultimately on the cross of Christ. The Jewish leaders wanted to destroy Jesus because again, as I mentioned before, their hearts were under attack by the truth that Jesus was God. Listen, they were outraged by the truth that there is no God in heaven that is unlike Jesus. And it attacked the very, the very religion that they had based their whole life on. It threatened everything about them and they rejected that. And I was, as I was reading that and I thought about uh, why were they rejecting them? Jesus had plainly in His, in, in, in his dissertation of, of, of Him and His, and his works and, and, his, uh, and the relationship between His sheep and, and him and his father and his sheep, and he, he basically boils it up to, to I and the Father and one, essence saying, I am the Son of God. Why were they rejecting that? Jesus says, basically, their ears were deaf to the what? To the words of Christ. In verse 25, the first part of that says, I told you and you do not believe. Listen, I told you and you do not believe. Why were they rejecting Jesus? Why did they want to pick up stones to stone Jesus? It was because Jesus told them, but they did not have ears to hear. They did not have ears to hear. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. The reason why you do not hear my voice is because you are not my sheep. Not only were their ears deaf to the words of Christ, their eyes were blinded to the works of Christ. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. On in verse 32 that we just read. I have shown you many good works from the Father. Why were they rejecting Christ in this moment? Because they didn't have ears to hear the words of Christ, and their eyes were blinded to the works of Christ. Which really presses into the, the, the root of the issue, the root of their rejection. Look at verse 33. The Jews answered him after Jesus asked, you've seen these good works, which one of these good works are you going to stone me for? And they answered, it's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Their ears were deaf, their eyes were blind, but church, their hearts were hardened to the person of Christ. Because you, you, being a man, 
Make yourself God. There is a, there is a disconnect where there is unbelief. And unbelief and the rejection that we see of Christ is rooted in the fact that their hearts are hardened to the person of Christ. This is not the Messiah that they want. This is not the message that they wanted to hear. This is not the religion that they wanted to organize and orchestrate their life around. This was not it. They refused to acknowledge that Jesus is God who made Himself a man. Rather, they believed Jesus was a man who made Himself God. That is, that is so far from each other. They believed that Jesus was just simply a man who was making Himself like God. When essence, Jesus had proclaimed with His mouth and had declared with His works that He was God who made Himself a man. Another observation we see here is that they found Jesus' words even more provocative than His works. They were willing to pummel Him to death with stones. You know, when we read Scripture, and I'm bad about this, like, if you guys talk to me, I'm an open book. I'm going to tell you pretty much, you know, here's where it's at. You come up to me and say, Joey, how's your day? It's bad, if it's bad. It's good, if it's good. I mean, it's the way I am. And, and so I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about this, and I am quick to read Scripture this way. I read that they pick up stones, and they seek to stone him, and I don't even take the time to think about what is going on. Like putting myself in that position. We act like, and we read this text like, oh, well, this is just a little bit of a conflict. Oh, here's Jesus and the Jews just kind of, you know, going back and forth. No, they were about to kill him. A crowd had gathered around him, and their intention was to kill him, to set him up. They knew what he was going to say, and they were just waiting for him to say it. And when he said it, they were trying to kill him. And these words that they said, they weren't worried about the works. They weren't worried that He made the blind see. He didn't, they didn't worry about making the lame to walk. At this moment, they were not worried about anything other than the claim that Jesus said that He was God. And by picking up stones, they were saying in their hearts, we reject you. We reject you. Church, I want us to feel the weight of that. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He demonstrated, Jesus demonstrated Himself is God. From His birth to His resurrection. And in this moment in time, these people had heard the Word of God. They had seen the works of God. But they rejected it. We'll circle back around to that in our application. But that is the first part of this passage, the rejection of Christ. But now let's move on to Christ's reply. As they are around Him and they have stones in their hand, righteously, right? Righteously in their own minds, gripped ready to carry out the law to kill the one who had blasphemed Jesus answers and he says is it not written in your law i said you are gods if he called them gods to whom the word of god came and scripture cannot be broken Do you say of Him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God? So in the reply of Christ, 
he, he begins by, by quoting Psalm 82. Very, you know, just a quick Bible study, quick reference in your Bible. You'll see that he is referencing Psalm 82. So uh, if you would just prayerfully, I'm going to read Psalm 82 to you. Just prayerfully listen. God is taking his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are God's. Son of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. There's a lot of implications here as we read this text. But as we, as we, as we look at it and we study it, what we see here is, is, is the example that Jesus gives all throughout his, his public ministry. That Jesus uses the Word of God. In this, in this case, He uses the Scriptures as a defense. You know, anytime that anybody ever approached Jesus in His life, He always used the Scriptures to teach. He used the Scriptures to point. He used the Scriptures to defend. And, and, and here, Jesus uses the Scriptures in a unique way. Because they're about to kill Him. They're about to stone Him to death. And Jesus brings the Scriptures to defend. Jesus quoted this verse in order to refute the charge of blasphemy that was used against Him. And we, we could spend a lot of time here, church, but I want to just make the point here. Jesus' point was this. If mere human judges, which Psalm 82 is referencing to, people that were divinely appointed to judge, to exercise judgment, to officially uh, uh, govern people, if, 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 if mere human judges can be called gods without committing blasphemy, how then could Jesus be charged with blasphemy? So basically what we see here is that Jesus knew the Word of God. He knew the Scriptures and He trusted the Scriptures and then He used the Scriptures to defend. One observation that we need to make is that as he is, as he is drawing attention to Psalm 82, which these Jews were very aware of, as he draws attention to Psalm 82, right in the middle of, of this debate that they're having regarding the deity of Christ, Jesus affirms the absolute accuracy and authority of Scripture when he says Scripture cannot be broken. Now, now, the Jews are debating with Jesus regarding His own deity. But Jesus brings into, into something, He brings common ground to this place. He brings the authority of Scripture. He brings the accuracy of Scripture to play. Something that the, G, that the Jews had completely honored in their life. Scripture cannot be broken. This, this statement, as you're reading it, it almost seems like a side note. It almost seems like, you know, like a rambling of a conversation. If you ever talk to me in a conversation, you'll realize I'm all over the place. <clears throat> I used to say it was ADD, I don't know, ADHD. I'm just, I'm just a broken man. That's all I can tell you. With a broken mind. That, that goes all over the place. And in this, in this context, you know, we're like, we're reading this, 
And he's talking about Psalm 82, and he's talking about gods and people being called gods, and this is kind of weighty, it's kind of heavy. And he says, and Scripture cannot be broken. (coughs) Excuse me. But this statement is not a side note. This statement is at the center of his reply. I'm sorry. The Jews had used Scripture to destroy Jesus. What you're saying is blasphemy. How can a man make himself God? you're, You're blasphemy. But they failed to see and they failed to understand that the Scriptures fully and completely and perfectly testify that Jesus is the Son of God. We'll see this come full circle in this text. This is not a side note. When when Jesus says the Scripture cannot be broken, He is talking about Himself. He, He is talking and testifying of I am fully God, I am fully man, and I am fully have authority to lay down my life and to take my life up again. And this this has a strong, strong implication for us today. Church, we need to know the Word of God. It It is not just that we need to know the Word of God, but we need to trust the Word of God. Church, it's not just an important word to hear. It's not just that. It's not just an intriguing word to study. Well, let me see what this has to say about this. Or, oh, let's let's have a Bible study about that. It is those things. It is important. It is intriguing. But what Jesus is saying here is that this word, this word is inspired by God. It is infallible. It is inerrant. It revives our souls. It opens our eyes. It guides our steps. And it causes our hearts to rejoice. This is the authority of the Word. This is the Word and it cannot be broken. Trust it today. This is is so centered to what Jesus is saying. He uses the Scriptures to defend. But He also uses the Scriptures to declare. By saying saying the Scriptures cannot be broken, He's setting the stage for His next statement when He says, Do you say of Him who the Father consecrated, who the Father sent into the world, you are blaspheming? Because I said, I am the Son of God. This This is some deep stuff here. So we're going to try to just press into it just for a little bit. Verse 36 is so crucial. Because in verse 36, as Jesus is using the Word of God to defend, to defend His deity, He also is using the Word of God to declare and affirm His deity. First, the Father consecrated the Son. He set apart the Son. And then He sent Him into the world. And even in Jesus' question, you're calling me a blasphemy because I said, I said, Jesus said, the Word said, God said, I am the Son of God. So even in His question, He is affirming His own deity by boldly stating that I said, I am the Son of God. Y'all catch that? It's kind of, you know, it's one of those things. Jesus is, you know, He's not like us. He enters a conversation. He starts, you know, people ask Him questions. He starts asking them questions. You know, 
Who does that? Jesus does that. But in that, he asks a question. He's also affirming the very essence of who he is. Jesus is the incarnate word. That word which is in the beginning was with God and was God. His words are the words of God. He is one with the Father. He is the radiance. He is the the glow. He is the glory of the Father. The Word became flesh and it dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is saying He is equal with God. He is worshipped as God. He is the Creator. He is the sustainer of all things. He forgives sin. He raises the dead. And He executes righteous judgment. To know Jesus is to know God. To see Jesus is to see God. To receive Jesus is to receive God. To believe Jesus is to believe God. To honor Jesus was to honor God. This is what Jesus is saying. And He is saying all Scripture cannot be broken. Jesus was consecrated by God. And Jesus was sent into the world by God. Jesus has come forth from God to make God known. To make uh, God known in the world. And His works, not only His Word, but His works are also works of God. In both word and works, and we'll see this play out in a minute. In both word and works, he is showing himself to be what he truly is. The son sent by the father to bring light and life to the world. This is why he was sent. He was set apart. God the father set apart God the son to come into this world to bring life and light to men. In John 3, 17, For God sent not His Son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Jesus is defending, using Scripture to defending Himself, to defend His deity, to defend His statement that I am God, to to take the conversation in a different way, but at the same time, He is affirming His deity. He's affirming His deity, and He's also calling out and testifying and saying and declaring, listen, God has set me apart and He has sent me out to redeem my own. To lay down my life for my own so that they may be saved. This is the reply of Christ. Let's look on. He said in verse 37, if if I'm not doing the works of my Father... Then, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. If you look down to that, that text, these Jews had rejected Jesus. They were ready to stone Jesus. But in verse 37 and 38, we see the grace and mercy of Jesus displayed as He invites and He urges the ones that who reject Him to believe in Him. He, he is urging them and inviting them. And He's doing it in a very unique way. He says, I know that you don't you hear my words and you don't believe. I know that you, 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 you see my works and you don't believe. But I am asking you and I am urging you to look again at my works. Believe in my works. Because believing in my works would open the way for these Jews to to hopefully know Jesus and to understand that He is the Son of God. Every miracle, every sign, every wonder that Jesus did was fully consistent with the nature of God, the character of God, and all of the attributes of God. And Jesus saying... Test those. Look at those. You see, this whole gospel is written that the world may hear, the world may see, and the world may believe that Jesus is the Christ. And the works that I do, Jesus said, in my Father's name, 
bear witness about me. Bear witness that I am from Him. That I am set apart and I am sent out. And Jesus replied to these Jews, listen church, is both tender and tough. It is merciful that in that even though they could not see their way to His words and to His person, He invited them to at least see and believe in His works. This is the, this, what a merciful invitation. Stones in the hand, ready to kill Him, rejecting Him, even though all of Scripture pointed to Him. And He says, believe in Me. This is a merciful invitation. But regretfully, this scene does not end with faith or repentance. Church, it ends in tragedy. It ends in tragedy. Again, they sought to arrest him. This scene ends with unbelief and anger as they once again tried to seize and arrest Jesus because he threatened the very nature of their life. Finally, quickly. Let's look at the retreat of Christ. Verse 39 again, they sought to arrest Him, but He escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there He remained. And many came to Him and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in Him there. Just like in John 8, once again, Jesus escaped from their hands. But listen, this is not some criminal slipping out the back door here. We need to understand that Jesus' retreat was intentional. Make no mistake, Christ's retreat was divinely intentional. Jesus had been sent into the world by God to lay down His life for a ransom for many, and His hour had not yet come. It was divinely intentional. He escaped supernaturally. The only way that God could, because this was not His purpose to stand up and say that He was God and be stoned. His purpose was to go to the cross so that you and I might be saved. The conflict was not over. The mission had not been accomplished. So He divinely and intentionally retreated from His public ministry in Jerusalem not to return until the palm branches were laid down and He was riding in on a donkey to the praise of the people. And ultimately, leading Him to the cross where He would be mocked by those same people. But not only was his retreat intentional, his retreat was his retreat was purposeful. He retreated from the place that rejected him for being the son of God. And get this church, he returned to the place where he was proclaimed and celebrated as the son of God. Where John was baptizing we don't know exactly where it is in this text, but what we can do is we can, we can build a context around that and know that who baptized Jesus? John. When Jesus was baptized, what did the Father say about the Son? He said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus is, he is retreating from the rejection and He is returning to the refuge that the, that the Son has with the Father. John the Baptist says, I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. He retreated from the place that rejected Him and He returned to the place that proclaimed Him. He retreated from the place where people gathered and rejected His words and works to a place where people came to Him. Not to 
kill Him, but to place their faith in Him. Where people came to, to Him to profess faith in His words and His works. This was intentional and this was purposeful. And I believe that Jesus knew that He needed to go to this place because in, in just a few chapters we're going to walk through Jesus returning to Jerusalem. This is preparatory to the march toward Jerusalem. To the walk to the temple. To the upper room. To the garden of Gethsemane. To the prison house. To the made up and pseudo court. To the beatings and scourgings. To the walk toward Golgotha. This is preparatory. He's, he's retreating from the rejection. And He's returning to the place where He's celebrated. And church, I just want to give you three observations in our closing. Uh, not three applications in our closing. One is based upon an observation. It's worth noting that John the Baptist's witness was still bearing fruit even after he was dead. John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed. John's witness to Christ led many to trust Christ. John was no miracle worker. But John was a faithful witness. The people who came to Jesus were convinced by what they had heard from John and what they had seen from Jesus that he, that he Jesus, was truly the Son of God. So in that observation, we see one application. Share Christ. If you know Christ and you believe Christ, Point people to Christ. Be like John the Baptist. Be a faithful witness. You don't have to be a miracle worker. Christ is the miracle worker. We just need to be a faithful testifier of the Gospel. Because we know that it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. We need to point people to the words of Christ where, where he, he says, you must believe that I am the Son of God. We need to point people to the works of Christ and invite them to believe. And we, church, we too have been set apart. We too have been sent out to bear His name. And so as we see this and we observe John's life, let us commit to sharing Christ. Second application for, for you that testify of a relationship with Christ. Testify that you believe Christ. Just for a moment, I want you to consider Christ. And I want you to consider Christ when you wake up in the morning. And I want you to consider Christ every moment of your life. Because as Christians, it is easy for us to overlook Jesus. It is easy for us to be just like those Jewish people, to know the Word but not to trust Him. To be so, so engulfed with this world and this life and our religion that we overlook Jesus, that we neglect Jesus, and even, even, we even gather around Him and demand something from Him that is rooted not in His glory and praise, but our own sin. And I would, I would like to invite you this morning, church, to celebrate Jesus by coming to Him in joyful faith. Jesus came into this world to rescue you and to reclaim you. The eternal Son of God out of sheer and boundless love for you, entered humanity and took on the sorrow and the sickness of your sin on the cross 
so that you may be clothed in the beautiful righteousness of His own life. On the cross, we see the bridegroom loving you to death. On the cross, we see the Lord of glory giving His life for you. On the cross, we see the Lord of hosts crushing Satan for you. And in John 10, verse 17, Jesus says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I laid down my life. If, church, if there is nothing more precious to the Father than the intentional, loving sacrifice of His Son, then I'm here to proclaim to thee this morning that there cannot be any blessing higher than Him. There cannot be anything better than Him. In every way, Jesus is the very great reward of the Gospel. He loved you. He gave Himself for you. He is passionate about you. So passionate about you that He paid a price for you. And your, your Christianity is not about you becoming better, but Christ becoming your everything. The goal of this morning is not for you to walk away from this teaching and just do better. The goal of this teaching is for you to see Christ in all of His glory, to praise Him, and to fall deeply in love with Him as you consider Him. As you consider Christ today, I urge you to celebrate Christ by turning away from your sin, your apathy, your complacency, your hostility, your frustration toward God, and turn to the all-satisfying, ever-sustaining, unrelenting Son of God who loves you, who cares for you, and calls you His own. Consider Christ this morning. Our last application as uh, Phil and the musicians come up. I just want you to close your Bibles. We're going to spend two or three minutes here and we're going to close. Close your Bible. Put away your notebook. Get in a posture of prayer. If you're a Christian, I want you to consider Christ. As you consider Christ, I want you to repent of your sin. I want you to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Not because I said so, but Christ has invited you to do that. He has commanded you to do that. That is His invitation for you. But in this passage of Scripture, a tragedy occurs. Jesus proclaims that He is God. Has proven that He is God. The Jews rejected Him as God. As Christians, this should break our hearts. We should weep over this text. That the, the, the Gospel, the Word of God, Jesus is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, but people reject Him. How can we apply this truth? of this Scripture today. Give your life to Christ this morning. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 24, unless you believe that I am He, that I am the great I am, that I am the Son of God, you will die in your sins. This is a tragedy. <laughs> In our sin, we are aliens to God. We are hostile toward God. We are slaves in our sin. We love darkness and we hate light. We live in impurity and wickedness. Our minds are depraved and we are blinded to the truth of God. Our desires are disordered. Our hearts are sinful. Our bodies are defiled. We are morally evil and spiritually sick. 
And despite what the world may say, and despite what your heart might say this morning, you are not okay. You need a miracle. And you need to give your life to Christ this morning. You do not need help. You do not need a shove in the right direction. You need resurrection. Despite your darkness and your deadness, Christ's light is shining on you this morning. And He, His voice is speaking to you. And He is inviting you to turn away from your sin. To turn away from yourself. And to give your life to Christ. Throw yourself on the only one that can save you. The very Son of God. By faith this morning, He will take your dead heart and He will make it alive. You've been walking through this life, trying to figure it out, trying to do better, trying to accomplish more, trying to be satisfied in this or that. And Jesus is saying, unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. He is inviting you this morning not to reject Him, but to believe in Him. As we sing this morning, I want to invite you to do the same. And when you believe in Jesus, you are going to be set on the course of the greatest joy that you could ever imagine. Eternal life with the Son of God. Do you know Him today? Do you believe Him today? Are you following Him today? Do you know His Word? Are you trusting in His Word? Or do you see it and turn away from it? Don't let today be a tragedy in your life. Christ come to redeem that. Let today be a day of rejoicing. Pastor Ryan is going to be over here by Romans 1.16. And if you do not know Jesus this morning, give your life to Christ. He's the very great reward of the gospel. He is the treasure in the field. He is the pearl of great price. He is worth it all. Quit walking through this life in darkness. Come into the light and be redeemed, reclaimed, reborn forevermore.